Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. This will be our main text this evening, but perhaps put your finger there and also turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. Proverbs 28 and verse 7, as well as Philippians 3:19. Hear now the word of the living God. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Philippians 3.19 For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, living Lord, we pray that you might incline our hearts once more this day, that we might hear your word and be exhorted by it, comforted, convicted, strengthened, make us thoughtful, reflective, As we hear the word of Christ, give us what we need, we pray, to rightly incorporate the preaching we've heard this day into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when is the last time you heard a sermon on gluttony? Early in my ministry, occasionally the topic would come up and I used to almost joke that I'd likely never preach a sermon on gluttony because, well, I loved food. And how could I unhypocritically preach a sermon on the topic of gluttony if I was a lover of food? And of course, we all chuckle at that. I chuckle at that because gluttony is not simply loving food. As we shall see tonight, it is more than that. Let me give you a couple of definitions. Our text in the book of Proverbs 28, verse 7, speaks to keeping the law of God is a good thing. A son is discerning if he keeps the law of God, if he meditates on it, if it is his desire. But the son, as is often the case in the book of Proverbs, the child, the learner, who keeps company, with those who idolatrously love food, that son shames his father. But what is gluttony? You'll often hear individuals say that gluttony really is only an issue related to the amount of food that we eat, or perhaps the physical form or weight of the individual who is eating. But actually, this is not what gluttony is. Gluttony is a lack of moderation. Or, the worship of food and drink. Or, as one theological dictionary defines it, quote, an excessive greed for food. Its unrestrained self-indulgence often leads to deeper iniquity and represents a rejection of godly moderation. You see, beloved, gluttony is not primarily about the amount of food that we eat or the physical weight of the person or persons involved in the eating. It is about the desire behind our pursuit 
of earthly things. It is not as simple as the thin ones in the church must not wrestle with gluttony because it is entirely possible to love and worship food and not be overweight. Gluttony is something that we don't often hear discussed, but yet it is all throughout the pages of the Bible. If gluttony is a lack of moderation, a worship of food and drink, an excessive greed for food, then we see it in a variety of stories with devastating consequences. Esau focused his desire on his belly, even over his covenant birthright. Genesis 25, 29 and following. The people of Israel focused their bellies on the delicacies of Egypt and complained against the Lord instead of living in thankfulness of his blessings. Numbers 11. The people of Israel focused on feasting and food instead of spiritual repentance before the Lord. Isaiah 22, 12 and following. In various places, gluttony is combined or leads to other sins like sinful indulgence in alcohol or sexual immorality. Exodus 32, Judges 9, 1 Samuel 25. Gluttony actually is a serious issue. The reason that I bring it to us this evening is not because I feel like we have a problem with gluttony in our church, as if I could read the hearts of every person who is a part of our body. But rather, for a variety of reasons, I was spending some time reading over the last few weeks and months in the early church fathers. And gluttony was something that was dealt with on more of a level than simply the amount of food. Look at our text once more in Proverbs 28.7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Notice the contrast here. One is the pursuit of the word of God, the law of God, but specifically the entire word of God. And the other is the pursuit of keeping company with those whose God is the filling of their bellies. The pursuit of pleasure through food and through drink. This is the contrast. And as is the case in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom writer is teaching proverbially the benefit of pursuing, of making one's pursuit, one's desire, the law of God, the ways of God, and not keeping company with Gluttons. Before we continue, there is only one perfect one, one who never in any respect worshipped food, one who never put food before the will of the father, one who never sinfully desired the pleasure of food. And that is our savior who can forget in John chapter four, verses thirty one. Through 34, Jesus saying this, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Nothing wrong with that. Caring for the concern of their rabbi, their teacher. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anything brought him? Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus 
here is not saying that the eating of food is sinful. Jesus is not even saying that his disciples' concern that he have enough nourishment that day was sinful, but that his focus was always the will of God. So let's consider then this topic of gluttony. John Cassian, what many would call a church father in the early 400s, says this. In discussing the various types of gluttony, he writes that there is a gluttony which drives a person to eat before proper and stated times. There's a gluttony that is focused on filling the belly and gorging it with all kinds of food. And there is a gluttony which is always on the lookout for rich and dainty foods. Notice, again, this is not scripture, but notice what this believer of old is saying. Gluttony is not simply the sin of those who eat at a buffet restaurant. Gluttony is the drive behind the individual, their pursuit for pleasure in food, their focus on the material things rather than the things of God. But are we to think that food and even feasting is sinful? Is our goal this evening to say, okay, I won't, I, I won't keep company with gluttons. What I'll do is I'll maintain my portions of food. I'll, I'll try to think about food a little less. I, I won't enjoy food when I eat it. Maybe that's the issue. But of course, that doesn't square with Scripture, does it? Think about the many places where Scripture says that food is good and to be enjoyed. Just a couple of examples. Compare our text with the goodness of the mother in Proverbs 31 providing well for her family. What's the focus there, though, of her provision of food? God and the fear of God. Or think about the early church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me for just a moment. Acts chapter 2. Baptists, and that's who we are. That's... The room of the house of Christ church that we live in the most. Baptists often jokingly are called those who know how to eat. Well, the early church must have been made up of Baptists. Because notice what is discussed in Acts chapter 2 verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So daily the believers are eating together. They ate their food with gladness. And simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice again there, there's nothing wrong with the goodness and the enjoyment of food. But who is at the center? God. Or think about what the scripture says when it speaks to the goodness of feasts and thankfulness for feasts. One example might be Nehemiah chapter 8. You remember that Ezra is reading the law. The people of God gather. They, they weep. They hear the words of the law. They built a platform for him to stand on because now the law has been recovered, if you will. The word of God is being revered again. Notice at the end of this encounter what the scripture says in Nehemiah chapter 8. 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribes and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly. Why were they rejoicing? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. The verse finishes. Notice again, feasting, food, it's good. It's something that is not only allowed, but it's something that on a day that is holy, people celebrate in. But it's not an idol. Many of us will also recognize that in various stages of life, through general revelation, we can come to understand that growing children, particularly growing boys, need food in abundance. But Jesus often prepared meals, didn't he? And Jesus fed people well. Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. There you will remember, boys and girls, that Jesus performs a miracle. It's often called the feeding of the 5,000. There were likely more than 5,000 people there. But notice what the text says. There's a lad, verse 9 of John 6, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Now, the point of the text in John chapter six is not making sure that everybody always gets enough to eat all the time. But the point is, in John 6, Nehemiah 8, Acts 2, Proverbs 31, food, and sometimes lots of it, feasting, and sometimes with great joy, is not gluttony. Gluttony is the lack of moderation, the idolatrous approach to the gift of God in sustaining food. It is, in essence, the worship of the created thing rather than the creator. One other word needs to be mentioned before we consider how to apply such a text this evening. Gluttony centers on the idolatry of food, thinking too much of food and drink, thinking too much in an idolatrous way about it. And so oftentimes we assume, again, in our minds... The gluttons are the ones who eat too much. Brothers and sisters, gluttony is not just a sin of the mouth and the stomach. It's also a sin of the mind. Some diets, some health food fads, 
Some aspects of over-focusing on natural eating can be gluttonous. Because although the issue is not the unhealthy gaining of weight or overeating, what is the focus? If we're not careful, too much thinking or worshipping on food. See, food and feasting are not bad. But when food or feasting becomes an idol, that's when it's gluttony. And the wisdom writer would say, our desire... What is wise is that we keep the word of God, that we make that our focus. And that we do not give in to the temptation to keep company with or to fall into the idolatry of food or drink. A couple of diagnostic questions for us tonight as we consider this issue. Number one. Think to yourself as you hear the word gluttony. Are my desires centered in the gifts of this world or the God who has given them? Now, this could be about food or drink. Obviously, it could move out of gluttony to other things. Augustine of old said that his true sin was looking for pleasure and fulfillment in created things rather than in the God who created them. Are my desires centered in the gifts of this world or the God who's given them? Secondly, is my attention held captive by God's word and his ways or my physical ones? Is my attention held captive by God's word and his ways or my physical ones? Once again, John Cassian, writing in the 400s, said this. Puritans weren't the only ones to say things with a punch. (laughs) Quote, one who is upset by taking an unsavory morsel once and in a way, and who cannot even for a short time overcome the delicacy of his appetite, will never succeed in curbing the secret and more important desires of the body. End quote. Think about that. If the basic thing that we go to every day is something that drives us, Cassian is saying, how is it that we are going to put to death the desires of the body and soul in other ways? If even going to one meal that's not our favorite <laughs> or not having a meal once in a while really causes this issue. Is my attention held captive by God's word? Am I able to say that by God's grace, through his spirit, my desire is to keep the law as a discerning son or daughter? To keep the word, to make God's word and his ways my focus? Or does something else drive me, namely my physical wants? A third diagnostic question might be this. In what ways might I be too focused on food? Now, again, immediately we might be thinking to ourselves, well, I'm on a diet. (laughs) Well, I eat healthy. But what if what drives our thinking, 
Not in the Proverbs 31 kind of way where we're thinking all the time about how to care for our family because God has given us a family to feed. But just almost in an obsessive, idolatrous kind of way, food or not eating food becomes the focus. Here's another diagnostic question. Can I feast or be in famine and still have self-control? Think about that one. Can I feast with joy and yet self-control? Or in God's providential hand, can I be in famine and have self-control? Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Go once more to Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul is laboring there. Notice what he says. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And interestingly enough, notice one of the the descriptors of these who are not walking in the ways of Christ. He says their end is destruction and their God is their belly. And what they glory in is their shame. Paul has in mind here not just food, but the gluttonous, idolatrous approach to food and to drink, which is involved or was involved in Paul's day in certain feasts that led to other kinds of behaviors. But it is possible, brothers and sisters, for food to become our idol. Our Lord. So how might we think then as we close about this? Again, I was deeply encouraged and even convicted as I thought through what some of these Christians of old had to say about helping people think through the various deeply ingrained forms of idolatry. You see, we very easily can say that people in our day are making idols out of all kinds of things. But one of the most difficult things for us to see, perhaps, is that we in the Christian life make idols out of things. You will forget John's final verse in 1 John chapter 5. My children, keep yourself from idols. Well, what if sometimes our idol... Our recipient or object of worship is the food, the feast, the drink, or the pleasure surrounding it. You see, the living Christ died not only for the sins of his people in the past, the present, and the future. Sins like lying and stealing. Sins like sexual immorality. But also a breaking of the first commandment. Have no other gods before my face. Gods like the gift of food that I give you. The breaking of the 10th commandment, wherein we say 
I need to have food sometimes that God hasn't given me, given to someone else, perhaps. You see, our living Christ died for these sins, and his blood washes away the penalty for these sins. And living the Christian life means that when we see sins in our life, we run to Christ. We know that he is our only hope of eternal salvation. We know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. But because his spirit is in us as Christians, he leads us, the spirit leads us, into increasing discovery of ways in which we are often driven by idols. And sometimes we don't often think that we may have certain idols that we don't realize. Are my desires increasingly centered in God or his gifts? Is my attention held captive by God's law or God's word? Or is my attention driven by my physical wants? How might I be too focused, perhaps, on food and drink? And the Lord who directs my days, if he gives me feast, will I be able, by his spirit, to have self-control? Or if he gives me famine, will I, by his spirit, be able to have self-control? Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. The only one never to shame his father was your Savior. When we see in our own ways shameful practices. We run again and again and again to him. Lord, I have discovered, I have discovered by your grace, by your spirit, another idol in my heart. I have loved another created thing. I thought that the last time that I repented of the worship of a created thing was the final time. But Lord, I have discovered that I also idolize the very food that you give me and sustain me. It's easy for me to read of the children brought out of Egypt and to wonder, why weren't they thankful with the manna? But I gripe and complain just like they do. You provide, but I don't like what you provide. Or you provide, and I worship what you provide. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Cause me to see the food on my plate and say, not, why not? But to say, how good, how good and kind is my God. Another day he has sustained me. So we ask him, Lord, once again, an idol, will you take it? Will you crush it? Will you cleanse me from it? Will you help me to see the way forward out of it? And we do this day by day until he takes us to the true feast that is to come. Let's pray. Living God, help us to think soberly even about food.
Help us to think not simply that this issue is not something that we should think about, but help us to ask these questions of ourselves. Where are our hearts? In what ways might the good gifts that you've given from your kind hand be things that we turn into objects of worship? Help us to enjoy our food with good and glad hearts. Help us to enjoy the richness, the taste of food and drink. Help us to be thankful that you provide in abundance on feast days with family, with friends, with your people. Help us to feast joyfully to abundance. Help us to do it like we see in your word, Lord, with a focus on you and the worship of you. We ask your blessing on our hearts as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen.